What number is this, Chip? Zilch, episode 139. Monkeys 101 looks at the episode, The Spy Who Came In From The Cool, and more. <laughs> okay, no, I mean, like, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short, I know. You're listening to Zilch, a Monkeys podcast. Zilch, a podcast full of monkeys. Today, Roseanne Welch and I are talking about the spy that came in from the cool. But before that, we want to take a second to say that you can now order 7A's release of Davy Jones' album Live in Japan. And here's Ken with some details. New from 7A Records, Davy Jones Live in Japan. Featuring both of Davies' officially released Japanese concert albums, 1981's Live in Japan and 1982's Hello Davy. Unavailable for years, these digitally remastered albums sound better than ever. Available in two formats, the two CD, one DVD set contains a whopping 22 bonus tracks and a detailed 24-page color booklet. Featuring previously unreleased photographs, liner notes, and recollections from Japanese fans, the DVD contains Davy's concert Hello Davy, which has only ever been previously released on Laserdisc in the Far East. The 3 LP colored vinyl gatefold edition posts 16 bonus tracks and includes a 28 page brochure with a replica of Davy Jones's Japanese tour program unavailable anywhere else. Produced in conjunction with the Jones family, Davy Jones Live in Japan is 7A's most extensive project yet. Davy Jones Live in Japan drops on August 2nd, but you can pre-order your copy now at Deep Discount and Amazon.com. Order yours today. Before we hop into Monkeys 101, recent guest co-host Mickey Dolenz and his band appeared on Good Day LA as part of the Mercury Concert Series at Los Angeles' Fox TV station, KTTV, on June 28, 2019. Take it away, gang.
Hi, this is Mickey Dolan's of the Monkeys, and you're listening to Zilch. And before Christine rings the bell for today's session of Monkeys 101, Roseanne and I wanted to give you a bit of a heads up. This discussion of the spy who came in from the cool was actually recorded about a week before Peter Tork passed away. And although we probably wouldn't have said anything very differently than we did, we figured you should know where we were in time when this was recorded. Thanks, and pencils ready. Class! Class! It's Monkeys 101! Here at Zilch, a Monkeys podcast, we're big fans of education. But as Zilch Nation grows, there's also a growing number of fans who don't know their Frodus from their Freeble Energizer, or who've forgotten the departure time for last train to Clarksville. There are even people in this world who can't solve the equation nine times blue. Oh, but have no fear, because doctors Roseanne Welch and Sarah Clark are here to help with their new series, Monkeys 101. Their regular class sessions and symposiums on special topics will explore all things monkeys, from the deeper meanings of the TV show and music we all know and love, to the cultural impact of the monkeys from 1966 all the way to the present. We'll even explore the monkeys' connections to history then and now. Stay tuned for a fun, thoughtful romp through the world of the monkeys, and who knows? At the end of the episode, you just might be thinking about the monkeys in a different, deeper way. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Monkeys 101 here on Zilch. I am Dr. Sarah Clark. And I'm Dr. Roseanne Welch. Hey, everybody. It's always fun to talk monkeys with monkey people. This week is, is The Spy Who Came In From The Cool, which is the fifth episode of The Monkeys. And here's the logline. The monkeys are cast into the Cold War after Davy buys a pair of red maracas at a pawn shop. I love the phrase red maracas. I know. It's so fun to say. Yeah. <laughs> and it aired on October 10th, 1966. And as always, before we get into the meat of this particular episode, we're going to take a step back and find out what was going on in the world around the monkeys. On October 11th of 1966, France and the Soviet Union signed a treaty for cooperation in nuclear research interesting, because I <laughs> seem to recall some recent episodes, we were talking a bit about various nuclear tests that uh, France was doing. Exactly. Yeah, that was all going on at that time. Uh, this uh, little Cold War episode was actually kind of timely. So Exactly. Uh, yeah. I think what's fun about you doing this is it's reminding us that we know, you know, in hindsight, we know how all this history turned out. But these guys and the people who worked around them were living in the middle of it, and they didn't know that we were all going to be fine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, you know, <laughs> I was a kid during uh, for about the last decade of the Cold War. It ended when I was in junior high. And, uh, you know, we we in Oklahoma, they called them tornado drills. But we, you know, we did the duck and cover thing. And I always wondered if they were for more than just tornadoes. But then I'm <laughs> interesting. Yeah, because we lived about uh, I lived in uh, the Oklahoma City area and we were about 10 miles from like one of the major Air Force bases. So I was kind of. To the extent I thought about it when I was a kid, I was kind of fatalistic about it. I figured we'd get, like, nuked in the first wave, so I didn't really worry about it very much, if that makes sense. <laughs> Is that kind of optimistic, I guess. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, to the extent that you can think about that stuff when you're eight or whatever. But yeah, this uh, this particular episode was actually still a little bit timely because I saw it, you know, I, I got into the monkeys in, in the mid 80s, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners did. And the Cold War was still very much a thing in those years. That's true. Yeah. Yep. And so on October 14th, uh, the closure of Intrabank begins the crisis of the Lebanese banking system. I didn't know they had a crisis, but that's interesting. And uh, the city of Montreal uh, inaugurates its metro system. yeah, so Very that's cool. Yeah, I, I did not know that. Um, on the 15th, this one's really fascinating. Uh, Lyndon Johnson signs a bill creating the United States Department of Transportation. I For some reason, I had it in my head that was like in the 50s during Eisenhower or something, you know, when we were building, starting to build all the interstates. Right. But he did the federal highway system, which is different. I, well, I guess because of that, that's probably why Johnson thought we need a department that focuses on that. They okay. hadn't really looked at federal transportation in the past. So yeah. maybe that's why. It's a building of the of the first thing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And the, uh, let's see, ABC uh, telecast a highly acclaimed 90-minute television adaptation of the musical Brigadoon, starring Robert Goulet, Peter Falk, and Sally Ann Howes, which wins Emmy Awards and inaugurates a short-lived series of special television adaptations of famous Broadway musicals on that network. Network. And of course, we're doing that again now. We are doing that again now with Rent being the most recent one. Yeah. To air. That's so interesting. And because musicals were so big, I wonder if the Cinderella one with Rodgers and Hammerstein, because that's original to TV. So I don't know if that's part of this mix or not. I'd have to look at the year. It might be. It feels like it's a little bit earlier, but I don't remember for certain. Yeah. Wow. And Peter Falk and Brigadoon. Someone tell me what he played. <laughs> I don't know. I should have pulled that up. <laughs> oh, no. no. I just love Brigadoon. And that's, yeah. I, I'm trying to place him. I know. Like, I know. Well, I mean, this is like way before the Columbo years, too. That's that's, you yeah. know, so <laughs> true. True. Yeah, of course, when I think of Peter Falk, I think of Princess Bride. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, last thing on October 16th, Grace Slick performs live for the first time with Jefferson Airplane. That's really cool. That is awesome. And that you'd place in the in 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 like this mid 60s time time frame. The Brigadoon thing kind of surprised me a little bit, but that definitely would fit into what you would think would come up on this week in history. True. And also... As you heard last time, we're going to start talking a little bit more about what was going on in the music world uh, the week these episodes aired. And uh, I checked the Billboard website. They have a wonderful history of all of their Hot 100 lists and a bunch of their other lists going back decades and decades. So I took a look to find out what the top five songs were on the Hot 100 chart the week this episode aired. Um, On number five was Psychotic Reaction by The Count Five.
I'm, I'm not as familiar with that tune. I'm going to have to dig that up. Yeah, I'm no, wondering if that's a one-hit wonder. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not familiar with the band, but as longtime Zilcha listeners know, my musical trivia knowledge compared to a lot of my co-hosts is like a mile wide and an inch deep. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, number four, this is the first uh, appearance by this band on the top five. They will be making a, a, the Billboard chart. They're home for the next couple of years. The Monkees with Last Train to Clarksville. Number three, we have uh, 96 Tears by Question Mark and the Mysterians. makes you laugh at the names of bands and how that's going to play out we get around to the episode find the monkeys when all those bands have stupid names yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that one's too much further down the road i'll have to look i I think it feels like it's like four or five episodes away Mm -hmm. um number two is cherish by the association Cherish is a word I use to describe All the feeling that I have fighting here for you in summer You don't know how many times I've wished that I had told you You don't know how many times I've wished that I could hold you Finally, something we like really know. Absolutely. And number one is another one we know the four tops. Reach out, I'll be there.
stuck in my head <laughs> cool no i'm still doing cherish because i love that song that's a very good one too yes but uh that was the top five for the week of uh this list was october 15th 1966 as we look back at the 60s on this episode does anyone remember that old pain reliever anison well here's a bizarre anison ad that aired right around that time how's this mommy oh that looks good Hi, darling. Hurry and get ready for dinner. PTA meeting tonight. Ellen, please. I just got home. Don't rush me. Control yourself. Sure you have a headache. You're tense, irritable. Don't take it out on her. You need Anison for fast relief. The big difference in Anison makes a big difference in the way you feel. Minutes after taking Anison, headache pain's gone. So tension's gone. Irritability's gone. You're in control again. You see, Anison is a combination of ingredients that contains the pain reliever prescribed most by doctors. So for headache pain, remember, an aspirin tablet gives some relief, and with buffering you get some. But an Anison gives this same pain relief, plus extra relief power, plus the power of an extra ingredient. So millions get fast relief without stomach upset. The big difference in Anison makes a big difference in the way you feel. Okay, yeah, that guy was kind of messed up. Not sure there's a pill for that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so we've kind of uh, placed this episode in its historical context. And Roseanne, I know you have some things you want to talk to talk about regarding the production credits, especially uh, dealing with some of our guest stars this episode. Exactly, exactly. Well, the first joke of all is to think of a not joke, but the first thing to say is, of course, this was written by our story editors, our regular showrunners, who are Gerald Gardner and Dee Caruso. Mm -hmm. Lots of times you'll see their name on several episodes along with a third name. Usually that means the third name did the writing and they did a quick pass as the showrunners. Mm. But here it's just the two of them who wrote this one together. Okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't, didn't know that's how that worked. Exactly. That's So there's all kinds of how you can figure out who wrote what in television. goes right down to when Ellen did the episode of her show where her character came out. Mm -hmm. They knew that it would be likely to be nominated for an Emmy. So every writer on the staff, they had like 12 names as written by. Because ah. they all won the Emmy. <laughs> Everybody writes like two lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. So in this case, it's truly the two of them. And they. Um, this is a perfect example of coming from their background because they came to the monkeys from Get Smart. Yeah. So they're totally homaging their last gig and they're friends with Buck Henry. So it's all about that. Mm -hmm. It's quite cute. Gerald is somebody who interests me a lot. I didn't get a chance to interview Dee Caruso because he had passed away mm -hmm. in 2012, just a little bit before I started my project. Aww. But Gerald is still with us. He and his wife live in Bel Air because mm -hmm. they made a good amount of money in this business. Well, yeah. Of course. Uh, and But he started his life uh, writing political satirical books. There were these books called Who's in Charge? And they took pictures from the Associated Press and they would write with, of politicians and they would write funny um, uh, dialogues, little dialogue boxes, which in effect is they were doing memes. Right. Oh, wow. But memes, you know, had been invented. There is nothing new under the sun, kids. 
There is not. And so literally that's what they were doing. And what happened was John Kennedy thought they were funny and he was president. So he was invited, uh, Gardner was invited to the White House for a lunch to, for them to say they thought he was charming and fun. Wow. And, yeah. And he met Bobby Kennedy, who was attorney general then. Mm-hmm. And after, sadly, the assassination, uh, Gerald had written a letter to Robert Kennedy, of course, saying how awful it was and how much he enjoyed having a chance to have known them. And Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, hired him to be one of his speechwriters when he ran for the Senate in New York. So Gerald Gardner, actually, in his later life, he's got about 16 or 17 books to his credit. And one of them is the story of that Senate campaign with Bobby Kennedy, Whoa. which is a really good read. I'm going to have to dig that up. It's a really good book. Um, he gave me a copy of it when I interviewed him. So like, I read it immediately. But it's really interesting. Nice. So anyway, he did that. And then when Kennedy got the job, he ended up moving into television. And he did a show called That Was the Week That Was. Oh, uh, yes. Which, exactly. A famous show, which essentially, gee whiz, is weekly update from SNL. <laughs> so there is nothing new under the sun. Nope. Um, and he did that show for a year. And that's when Buck Henry started to do Get Smart. And he wanted some cool, hip, young guys. Right. So that was Gerald and Dee. Uh, and they came along and they did that. And then when the monkeys started, of course, we know our guys, Bert and Bob, wanted some cool, hip guys. And ta-da. Ta-da. So, um, so that's who they are. And they're pretty cool people. And so, um, as I said, Gerald is still around. He uh, did a great book a few years ago called 80 at 80. And he interviewed 80 celebrities who'd reached the age of 80. And they talked about their, you know, their lives and their longevity and, and, you know, what they thought was important about what they'd learned. And it's a really cool book. too. Oh, wow. You're giving me like a whole reading list for next week, because this sounds really interesting, too. It's, they are. I mean, he's a really great guy. I was so yeah. pleased to meet him. So that's my, my love of, of the writers. And mm -hmm. of course, in this particular case, I'll just briefly cover the fact that we have a couple of really interesting, um, well-cast people. Um, we recognize Arlene Martel, who's playing Madame, um, because we've seen her in other things. She's more famous on the convention circuit uh, because she was T'Pring, who is Spock's Vulcan bride in the Yamak time yes. as Star Trek. And that's huge. So she's been going to conventions for years. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that's not the first connection between Star Trek and the monkeys, because there's a whole discussion about how Chekhov's hairstyle is meant to be a copy of Davies. Yes. So, you know, we have connections. We have six degrees of separation between Star Trek and our guys. Mm -hmm. um, she's also going to show up again for us. She plays Lorelei in the monstrous monkey mash. Yes. Excellent episode and excellent bit. Yes. Oh, totally. And she she was excellent at um, dialect. She could do lots of different accents. So yeah. she played on Hogan's Heroes. She played ground woman. Um, and she played Russian. She played anything you could think of, um, which I think is cute. And one of the things about her is that she worked right up until 2013 playing elegant grandmother types. And she died in 2014. Yeah, neat. I th I I remember when she passed because I think it was right around the time that Zilch started. And yeah, I think I remember hearing that she was active till pretty much right up the end. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So she's really great, and I remember loving her when I was a kid on Hogan's Heroes. So oh there yeah, you go. yeah. But um, the other there's a couple of cool guys. The other cool guy is the gentleman who plays Honeywell, the CIA, the CIS agent. Yes, CIS, not CIA. CIS, not the CIA. He uh, his name is Don Penny. And he was a Korean War vet, um, which is cool. Right. He went to London's Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. Whoa. Very. I mean, these are like serious actors. You know, she went to the um, uh, New York's um, High School of Performing Arts. So yeah, she's yeah. an actual fame girl. Yes, a fame fame. Yes. Yeah. And then he went to the Royal Academy. 
But um, after he'd done acting through most of the 60s and the early 70s, he grew up, if you can use the phrase, mm-hmm. to be the, the deputy director for White House Communications under Gerald Ford. Wow. <laughs> it's yeah, like, I know. Who Gerald you, Ford is two degrees of separation from the monkeys, kids. <laughs> exactly. I mean, what a crazy job. But and And he's playing a government guy who does you know, polling in this episode, and he grew up to do that, actually. That is so awesome. <laughs> I just think it's hilarious. And uh, very briefly, we have um, a couple people worth noticing. Uh, Lee Kalima is going to play Yakimoto, and he's going to show up again playing Attila the Hun in Devil and Peter Tork. Yes, he is. And uh, we have a guy named Jacques Aubuchon, who is playing Boris. Um, he also was on Hogan's Heroes and did a lot of work in some of my favorite Robert Wagner shows, Switch and Heart to Heart. Yeah, because he's just one of those character actors that you know you've seen in like 15 different things. It's like, oh, yeah, it's that guy. Exactly. And then finally, it's it's fair to mention we have a six degrees of separation between the Wizard of Oz and the monkeys because the midget who is meant to buy the red maracas was in the Wizard of Oz as a child. Oh, my goodness. That's cool. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. That's and and mm. I should also note he was in a, an Alfred Hitchcock movie called Saboteur, which was written by Dorothy Parker. Okay, cool. Yeah, because she wrote for Hollywood for a while. She did. She wrote the original Star is Born. That's right. I remember that. Mm. So (laughs) this is a pretty, I mean, this is not a show people were sneezing at. People are coming along from good backgrounds, to be honest. Well, it's kind of the exciting new thing, as, as, as the Emmy Awards will soon prove. Then the other thing I will note is that this episode was directed by, of course, one of our producers, uh, Bob Rafelson. And that's worth noting because you'll notice the, some of the concert footage as the boys play in the various scenes. He's practicing covering concerts, which he will do, of course, later on in the Monkeys on Tour. Very true. And they, they also, in general, seem to be playing with different ways that they can integrate music into the show. Kind of fun, fun things they can do with the romps and that kind of thing. True. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dig into the episode. Woohoo! Please let me have a new stick of maracas. Well, you already got a pair of maracas, man. Yeah, besides, baby, you gotta save your money for a rainy day. Right. Hey, I think it's gonna rain. I have fixed the microfilm inside the maracas. Very good. Remember, your contact is a short man. We'll ask you for some red maracas. You will reply, I have some, for six dollars. He will say, but I can only give you 50 cents. You will say, they're yours. (laughs) I know, Boris. We lose money on the Marakis, but we make it back on the microfilm. (laughs) Okay, we open as the guys pull up uh, on the street in the Monkey Mobile to a local music store where Davey announces he wants a new pair of red maracas uh, even though gu- the guys point out he already has a pair I don't think we've gotten to the romp where he's playing like four pairs of maracas simultaneously <laughs> Has the, uh, he must have some sort of like Guinness record for the number of maracas played at the same song or something so. <laughs> maracas and tambourines he is the king very true he is the king and uh, as the man on the street talking into a popsicle with a wire coming out of it should have implied it turns out that the music store is a front for a spy ring in that opening shot that's our first look at dean jeffrey's creation which is the monkey mobile which is really a pontiac 
which I did find in GTO. my research. Yeah. When they did it, when they modified it, they were supposed to only slightly modify it. And when the executives saw it, they were appalled. And one of the executives was John DeLorean. <laughs> Seriously, he was a Pontiac executive before building the DeLorean. And he thought the monkey mobile was just appalling. Oh, he had no idea. He had no idea. He did have no idea what was going to be coming about 20 years later, what they were going <laughs> to do to his poor DeLorean. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. That's awesome. Okay. So Boris is a little confused when our favorite diminutive lead singer comes in through the door looking to spend some of his pocket money. I'd like to buy a pair of maracas, please. No, have you got any red ones? <laughs> You are very short. Now, what did you say you wanted? A pair of red maracas. I have a pair for six dollars. I've only got 50 cents. They're yours. So long story short, the monkeys have the microfilm and Boris and Madam have a problem. <laughs> After the credits, we're at a local dance club where we see the guys playing the first appearance of a Michael Nesmith song in the entire series, The Kind of Girl I Could Love. Unfortunately, one of Davy's new maracas sounds kind of funny. It's kind of got this rattling thing going on. And he discovers that there is microfilm inside. Uh, he takes it out and sticks it in his pocket and just keeps on playing. Boris and Madam enter in a rather disturbing attempt at teenager camouflage and <laughs> stick the guys up to get the microfilm back. Mike, as always the quick-thinking leader of the group, runs over to the microphone and claims that Boris and Madam are actually folk singers Honey and the Bear. We're very fortunate in having a very uh, famous folk singing duo with us tonight, Honey and the Bear. <laughs> Come on up here on the stage. Honey and the Bear with a little encouragement, I think we'll probably sing one of the famous folk and singing and protest songs. Can you take the guitar and play it? What do we do, Mary? Let's hear it for Honey and the Bear. Have you ever sung, Boris? Only for the district attorney. Your son, Boris. Embarrassing side note, I never actually like realized mentally that was a play on words on Sonny and Cher until former Zilch uh, co-host Melanie Mitchell actually pointed out to me. <laughs> Well, if you think about it, he's wearing the the vest. Yeah, as soon as she put it, I was like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah I, I think, think, yeah, I just I didn't. It's I, the shape yeah. of their bodies because he doesn't make you think Sonny is a small, diminutive guy. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, I think that was part of it, too. <laughs> and uh, during their um, performance, the guys managed to make a quick escape. Because <laughs> they're smart. Because they're, they're smart. smart. Yes. And one of the cool things in this uh, particular scene in mm -hmm. terms of production is simply that you're watching them try to take footage of the dancers without a steady cam. And yeah. it's not very good footage because we don't have the technology to get it as good as it should be. Yeah, they're they're attempting to do like steady cam type stuff before steady cam is a thing, which 
is innovative. And I mean, it's, it's another reason why you see the thing won an Emmy, but it's also, yeah, it's, it's a little queasy if you're not used to it back in the day. So exactly. Um, so after the, they leave the club, we cut to CIS, not CIA headquarters where agent Honeywell, uh, the guy who had been seen holding the electronic popsicle earlier shows allegedly hidden camera footage of the monkeys, very obviously being a pop band, not spies. Uh, side note, I do want to know how they managed to install a hidden camera that could track Mickey Dolenz as he slid down the spiral staircase and walked across the living room. Um, but at least... Well, it- did you notice in uh-huh. that scene, the kinds of answers that the guys are giving are the kinds of answers they discussed when they did real press interviews. They weren't supposed to talk about the the violence and the craziness of the 60s so you know what do you think about demonstrations becomes it's the only way to sell a vacuum yeah i did it it remind yeah, yeah and i i was actually gonna uh, bring that up as well because it, it seemed very much like they were sort of being how they were sort of being coached to uh answer things to uh to yes real world reporters which they sort of occasionally did and occasionally didn't do but you know more <laughs> exactly. on that later <laughs> yeah, them following rules oh no <laughs> good heavens no um, but at least uh, Mickey's uh, interview with Honeywell didn't turn into an uh, impromptu edition like Davies did. The next one is Davy Jones, the English boy. We put our camera across the street from the newsstand so we get an idea of his reading habits. <laughs> you sure he didn't know he was being photographed? Oh, oh absolutely, Chief. <laughs> Yeah, they couldn't have I've seen enough. Uh, the CIS brings the guys into their office to ask them for some help. And after uh, some joking, rather morbid joking around, they reluctantly agree, being the not quite clean cut, not quite all American, but very nice young men that they are. And they are. They're wearing suits, which is a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this isn't the first appearance of their suits, but it's it's kind of a good shot. You can see how kind of each of them are cut slightly differently, but they're all the same color. So it's 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 very neat neat way how they did those suits. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And after the commercial break, Mike is starting to have some second thoughts about uh, their little uh, journey into the world of intelligence work. But Mickey points out that as spy movie aficionados, they are totally equipped for something like this. (laughs) Sure. I've watched a lot of football movies. That doesn't mean I'm playing in the Super Bowl. Exactly. Uh, And then we cut to uh, one of their lovely little shared imagination sequences where Mickey is playing uh, Agent Q, two agents, 007, 008, and 009, um, giving them gadgets and training for the coming encounter. And then next up, they are back at the club. Honeywell sets up the sting operation. Um, the boys will meet Madam and Boris at the dance club where a lamp has been rigged with a microphone powered by a not at all conspicuous large black cord. <laughs> oh, and, and a- mm-hmm. before we get to those guys, yeah. we have a lovely fourth wall breaking bit. When they 
rub the lamp, and who shows up? Do not fear, Master. Your genie will help you. Imagine that. Wrong show. And later in the evening, it is showtime in a few senses of the word. After the guys play I'm Not Your Stepping Stone, they sit down to negotiate with Boris and Madam. Unfortunately, albeit unsurprisingly, some technical difficulties ensue, and they have to get the spies to repeat their confession a few times to get it on tape. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> yep. Uh, unfortunately, just as they finally get the confession on tape, Madam figures it out, and a romp ensues where Boris and the guys battle to the song All the King's Horses. of a Michael Nesmith song in this uh, series. Uh, Boris is captured, but Madam flees with what she thinks is the microfilm. She thinks. She thinks, because after the break, we find Natasha in, uh, quote, Red China with her supervisors and uh, plays the film strip that she probably should have taken a look at first. Um, <laughs> turns out it's actually some random romping on the beach and in downtown L.A. to Saturday's Child. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> yep so that's the episode it's a pretty basic like back in the day let's make fun of spies and of course it's you know, the title comes from the john le Care novel right. Spy Who came from the cold so these guys were pretty literate in terms of writers and in terms of their lives so they were able to do that um which again i think gives the show more of a gloss of you think it's for kids but it's kind of the way we talk about the simpsons now there's kid <laughs> stuff and then there's a layer above it 
Yeah, which is good because I mean, at that day, it's not everybody has you know five screens they flip between. It's you know, mom and dad are basically being nice, letting their kids watch the monkeys, so that you might as well throw in a few jokes for them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it helps keep attention in the same way that you're just saying about flipping screens. You don't have to flip screens because they keep showing up doing funny or different things. It's keeping your eyes stimulated. Yeah. It's the quick cuts and the quick changes. Yeah. And, and really, you know, again, it's, it's kind of changing the vocabulary of, of how, um, you know, the TV is edited and produced. Exactly. Exactly. That's why they deserve an Emmy. (laughs) Absolutely. Yep. And uh, I got curious and actually checked the Nielsen ratings for this week. I haven't done that for an episode before, but I might do this again. Yes. Uh, This this week this episode got a fifteen point eight rating and a twenty eight point one share, which apparently works out to eight million six hundred and seventy thousand viewers. That's pretty good. It's not wonderful in the day. I mean, you know, when yeah. Lucy has her baby, it's like 72% of the audience, but that's a crazy big moment. Right. If I, um, yeah, if memory serves, it's basically the monkeys and I want to say Bonanza that were um, kind of fighting back and forth for number one in the time slot and, and usually Bonanza kind of beat them out. But they were they were hanging in there at number two most yeah. weeks. Yep. Yep. Well, again, we're still in the world of everyone loving Westerns. I mean, TV was chock full of Westerns and Bonanza, it was second only to Gunsmoke in terms of length of time on the air and popularity. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I also, as I have in previous week, took a look at TV tropes. There are a few for this week. First up is Bookcase Passage. In the episode The Spy Who Came In From The Cool, there is a secret exit from the pawn shop through a harp case. Mickey jokes that he thought it was through the accordion. Mm, which is a fourth wall breaking moment. He looks right at the camera to say that. And he doesn't joke to the guys. Yes, it is. Uh, next trope is incredibly obvious bug. Uh, I <laughs> kind of alluded to it in our roundup uh, in this episode. The bug is in a lamp at the center of the table in which the guys blatantly move back and forth between them and the spies. It, 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 <laughs> it becomes yet even more comedic as things roll along. <laughs> and then last up is spy speak in the spy who came in from the cool. Davy advert- inadvertently says the spy's secret phrase at a pawn shop as he's actually looking for a pair of red maracas. <laughs> they played that trope in the opening episode with the business of um, the, so what's that line? We'd have to find it where, the you know, he's sitting outside, the henchman is sitting outside the house and he says, the elevator is going up. The streetcar is going up the hill, I think. Yes, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Oh, so they played that trope before. Which one is that? That's that's that, that's the um, opening episode. That's Royal Flush. Oh, duh! That's right, Royal Flush. Yeah, yeah. They're spying on Davy because of the girl. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, so that's uh, that's our TV tropes. And moving on to music this week, uh, as mentioned, uh, the kind of girl I could love is the first appearance of a Nesmith song in a Monkeys episode. It was written by Michael Nesmith and Roger Atkins, recorded on uh, June 25th and July 16th, 1966. Uh, apparently, this the first recording session was actually the second Monkeys recording session ever, and the first one that uh, Nes produced. Uh, yes, on this song, personnel, Michael Nesmith, lead and backing vocal slash steel guitar, um, Mickey Davey and Peter doing backing vocals, Al Casey, Glenn Campbell, and James Burton on guitars. How Campbell. Think about that. Glenn Campbell. And he's like, I just rattled that off, but he's throughout, especially a lot of the the early stuff. And to think that a few years later, he had his own show and the guys were appearing on that. 
Exactly. Yeah. So, and people didn't understand that they had this musical working history. Yeah, absolutely. Started out with, uh, you know, the, the wrecking crew and just kind of moved on with things. Um, and yes, yeah, so, so, uh, those folks on guitar, Hal Blaine on drums, uh, Gary Coleman and Jim Gordon on percussion, uh, Larry Nectel and Bob West on bass. And then next up is uh, I'm Not Your Stepping Stone, which I won't rehash that again. If you want to hear the credits on that, we covered that one in Your Friendly Neighborhood Kidnappers. Interesting to see that it's up again, though not surprising. I'm Not Your Stepping Stone was the uh, second single released by the Monkees. We've already heard that last train to Clarksville is finally starting to climb into the charts, hitting the top five. So it's time to start kind of uh, giving folks a taste of the next single, which explains why it was uh, in two episodes in a row. Exactly. Yeah. Synergy. Synergy is the word. Synergy. Yes. That is the the buzzword for this whole project, really. And then next up is All the King's Horses. Uh, and that actually was recorded on the same two dates as uh, Kind of Girl I Could Love. This is going to sound very similar. Uh, but yes, recorded June 25th and July 16th of 66. Mickey on lead and backing vocal. Michael Nesmith on harmony and backing vocal. Peter and Davey also backing. It's, it's interesting to note that on the uh, sessions that Nez was producing, he was using the guys for all the backup vocal stuff. Good to hear. Which is good. Which is good. Yeah. But also, it's fun. It's kind of fun that whether it's accident or what, because Clarksville and Stepping Stone are two things Mickey sang lead on. He essentially becomes known as the lead singer. Exactly. Exactly. And it looks like it's essentially the same personnel on guitar, drums, percussion, and bass as on Kind of Girl I Could Love. Cool. And it, this was one of those things I forgot about because it was used on the TV show a couple of times. And it's one of those things I was familiar with as a kid because it had come out on Missing Links, but it never was actually released on one of the original albums. Really? Yeah. Oh, you know why? Because everyone has the greatest hits album and it's on that. So we assume, but it wasn't in one. Of, you're right. It's not on headquarters. Certainly it's not on more of the monkeys. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. And then the fourth, uh, fourth song is Saturday's Child. This one is written by David Gates, one of our favorite songwriters around here, because he tells Love great that. stories. Oh um, and I, and I can believe that actually, because, because that's one of those ones with really kind of catchy lyrics that have for a pop song of the early monkeys vintage has, has, has some meat to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. It's, it's been, you know, it's worth listening to. Well, most all their music is worth listening to, but well, yeah. this one has definite legs. Yeah, yeah. And it was recorded on July 9th, uh, 1966. Mickey on lead, obviously. Roy Hicklin and Tommy Boyce on backing vocals. Bobby Hart on organ and backing vocals. Wayne Irwin on guitar and backing vocals. Jerry McGee and Louis Shelton on guitars. Larry Taylor bass. Billy Lewis drums. Gene Estes tambourine. So... That is the story on that one. And mm -hmm. then I took a look at our replacement songs for this episode. This episode was repeated on NBC in uh, summer 67 with Randy Scouse Git replacing Saturday's Child. Uh, and, of course, to give that some airing. Yeah, you got to bring that out because they were trying to, I mean, they they were really pushing that single in the, uh, in the UK and uh, they were wanting to push that song here because summer of 67 was when Headquarters was out and kind of battling back and forth with uh, Sergeant Pepper, so... You know, again, wow. that's that's not too bad an act to come in second to on the charts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My God. <laughs> Good God. Yes. And uh, also songs were replaced on CBS and ABC Saturday. Uh, All Alone in the Dark was mixed into the episode. I noticed you haven't given the credits for Swanee River. 
that was not listed as a proper song on the episode. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, probably should have. Oh well. <laughs> yeah, I just think that's hilarious. But that's the one Davy pulls out, you know, because that's Stephen Foster. So that's yeah, about exactly. as American as you can get, and he's English, so I'm confused. Yeah, I'm I'm confused, except I'm not confused because, you know, he's Mr. Broadway. And I mean, he would it, that scene always made me think of that joke he'd tell in later years of, you know, the, the refrigerator light comes on and I do a five minute bit, you know. <laughs> True. <laughs> yep. So anything else we want to say about the spy who came in from the cool? I just think it's it's interesting. I mean, along the way, the kind of dialogue that uh, Gardner and Cruz are right. They're just going for the sort of the vaudeville, but um, bump jokes. Yeah, yeah. But joke, in joke, a weird joke. way, you could reference that they have um, they have some foreshadowing because in the scene at the CIS headquarters when they discuss how dangerous it will be, the guys all play musical chairs, and because Peter's the the quote dumb one, he doesn't get a chair, so he's standing up by himself, and Mike stands up and says. Gee, buddy, we'll miss you. It'll be okay being a trio. And that's kind of what they became. Yeah, because he was the first one to depart. Uh. Exactly. <laughs> so that's just when I see that nowadays, of course, that it meant nothing to them. It was just a joke and it was suited his character. But you look at that and you go, whoa, it's going to happen. Yeah. And uh, on a, a, a slightly more depressing note, that sort of segues me into talk, uh, reminding everybody of next episode, which is going to be, uh, it's actually one of my personal top five episodes, which is Success Story. Oh, I love that episode. Yeah. The group are bent on making Davy look like a star and give his visiting grandfather the star treatment. Written by Gardner Caruso and Bernie Orenstein and directed by James Frawley. And of course, uh, as as all of you who have seen Success Story know, you're going to want to bring your hankies, kids, because uh, even before 2012, my eyes got a little misty about this one. So Definitely, I definitely. And, and as you said to me on the phone, a bunch of people, when Davy passed, used that scene of him saying goodbye to the guys in their footage on the news and it just made you cry over and over again yeah it's going to be interesting to talk about how there's the original intent of a creator when they create a tv show or a piece of art of any form and then the meanings that can accrue on top of it over the years because this one is really like it at least as far as the monkeys one of the really preeminent ways of how like different meanings have been layered on top of it Exactly. A critical studies look at that particular episode. Exactly. Absolutely. So you have that to look forward to next time on Monkeys 101. And thank you, as always, for tuning in. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. Okay. Bye. Bye. Dr. Roseanne Welch is a Mickey girl and the author of Why the Monkeys Matter, Teenagers, Television, and American Pop Culture. After a career of writing for television shows like Touched by an Angel, Picket Fences, and Beverly Hills 90210, Roseanne shifted gears and went into education. She now writes on film and television studies and teaches in the screenwriting program at Stevens College. Dr. Sarah Clark is an April conquest and proud of it. When not podcasting here at Zilch, a monkey's podcast, or writing at her blog, Fandom Lenses, her not-terribly-secret identity, she can be found leading a university library in the Philadelphia area. Sarah is convinced that her utter inability to understand Head when she was 11 sparked the intellectual curiosity that led her into academia. If only she'd known the guys themselves didn't understand Head either. The Monkeys, the complete series... 
all 58 episodes, newly remastered in stunning HD from the original negatives for the very first time. Plus the 1969 TV special 33 and a third revolutions per monkey. Bonus material includes commentaries from all four monkeys, original Kellogg's monkeys commercials, and more. The 1968 monkeys film, Head, in HD with never-before-seen outtakes. Unique packaging including a 7-inch single featuring Star Collector back with Going Down in unique TV mono mixes. This collection is strictly limited to 10,000 individually numbered box sets, and once those are sold out, this edition and the bonus disc will never be available again. Everything you loved about the monkeys on TV, it's yours in high def on Blu-ray now. The Monkeys the Complete Series. Go to rhino.com or themonkeystore.warnermusic.com. The Monkeys the Complete TV Series on Blu-ray. Once upon a time in 1967, there were four boys who went on a mind-blowing adventure, and they captured it all on film. When the World and I Were Young, Snapshots from the Collection of Davy Jones is the story of the Monkeys' 1967 summer tour, told through more than 80 never-before-seen images of the Monkeys and their friends, including Stephen Stills, Jan Berry, Henry Diltz, and the Jimi Hendrix Experience. When the World and I Were Young is the first project from Along Came Jones Media, available now at Amazon.com. We'll see you on the next episode of Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Burke. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.